Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams, so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hello and welcome to episode 234 of What Most People Think. I hope you're good, man. I am back out. I'm back on tour now. Last weekend, uh, thanks to everybody that came to the shows in Maidenhead and Kings Lynn. I just got to say, uh, this weekend there was um, crowd trouble at the football. Anybody see the Wolverhampton Wanderers against West Bromwich Albion? There's a lot of crowd trouble. And the funny thing was, was that the press, the media have to go, obviously, these are disgusting scenes. These are disgusting scenes. And, of course, we're not going to show you them. You're like, all right, uh, maybe show them. Call them disgusting. But I want, I want to see it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Because that's the dark truth about men is that we do like to see videos of fighting. And, and I was thinking, I don't know if, if women know this. If you look at, right, if you want to know how popular fighting videos are, just go on Twitter and do searches for words like football fights, punch-ups, <laughs> just see how many followers they've got and see how many blokes that you know are following those accounts. It's one of the worst things in the world is, is that when a bloke goes to the toilet... As I said, were you looking at your phone in the toilet? You go, no. And she knows you're lying. You know that she knows that you're lying. I said, what were you looking at? I mean, you cannot say, uh, I was just looking at videos of fights. It's so fucking sad. Anyway, this is what most people think. This is the podcast that uh, is willing to tread in, uh, well, in different territory to the rest of the comedy industry, that is willing to admit that sometimes, yes, I watch fighting videos. And on that note, <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying this, but Felicity Ward, the brilliant Australian comic, He's on the show today. Uh, Felicity, I always used to go and watch her shows at the Edinburgh Fringe. She's a brilliant stand-up. And uh, she recently got, well, last year she got cast in the Australian remake of The Office, which is fucking huge. So I wanted to talk to her about that. Uh, she's also a cricket fan. No greater time to speak to an Aussie cricket fan than shortly after they lost at home to West Indies. And, uh, you know, when I had that clip that was on... Um, Politics Live, you know, we're talking about male suicide and stuff like that. Felicity immediately reached out, you know, as someone who's, who's done work in that area and is acutely conscious, you know, of the challenges facing men. You know, we're coming at it from a slightly different angle, but we very much, you know, share the same outcomes and we had a lovely chat. And the Patreon only, you'll get an extended version of that chat. So all the good stuff and more. But before I talk to Felicity, I will be uh, just quickly looking at a news story back in the last week about... The army's preparedness for a ground war with Russia. There was some talk about 
bringing back conscription, which was in itself fucking hilarious. And, and there was, a, you know, just talk about the general state of the British military, which wasn't held by a video of two British warships colluding, colluding, Cl- colliding, collapsing uh, in Bahrain. New patrons, if you want to get the show early, ad-free, and with bonus content, you can become a patron. Go to patreon.com and just search for what most people think, or Jeff Norcott. Uh, But new patrons, Luke Dawson. I think Luke is a returner. It's good to have you back, Luke Dawson. Luke Dawson is a very young guy name, isn't it? It's very hard to imagine an old Luke, is there? Luke Dawson. How are you going to go? Are you going to go like Luke Skywalker did when they brought back the... Where, you know, in the uh, sequel trilogy of Star Wars, where he, he ended it as, as a hero, the original trilogy, and they brought him back. And as is the case when you bring back old figures, they go, how can we just make him basically a fucking hermit whose life has gone wrong? <laughs> they did it with Han Solo as well. Han Solo, the big hero of the Star Wars original trilogy. Oh, no, we rejoin him and he's uh, he's left his wife. He's a shit dad. And him and Chewie are just living out... They're fucking weird bromance on a spaceship. I haven't seen the recent Indiana Jones film, but I'm going to guess it was the same with him. He's down on his luck. He's he's lost the love for archaeology. He can't even bring himself to watch fucking Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> but Luke, yeah, it's not an old guy name, but a very young sounding name is Katie Pedrick. Katie Pedrick is that is, is that an, is that a pseudonym for Katie Puckrick? Do you remember Katie Puckrick? who was on The Word, do you remember that, on that Channel 4 show? And she seemed like the one like proper broadcaster there that was just thinking, eh, gig's a gig. You know, she, she seemed like she was actually a really good broadcaster that just from time to time had to go, uh, there's someone snogging, snogging a granny over there. Ah, and there's someone in a bar full of baked beans. Anyway, who knows? Maybe, maybe this will lead me uh, to getting the pebble mill at one gig. Domain talking point, our super patron, David Domain, he picks up things from last week's shows for further discussion. And he said from the uh, the Simon Evans episode, which got loads of good feedback last week, so do give that a listen. He said it was good to have Simon back. He, like you, is a man of good taste. I refer here to the chat about Weatherspoons. If you would like the ultimate Weatherspoons navigation challenge. So we were talking about the fact that the toilets at Weatherspoons are generally a good walk away. And when, well, you know when people say good walk, it means bad walk, doesn't it? Oh, it's a good 10 minute walk. Well, that means right. But first time, it's not 10 minutes, it's 15 and it's probably exposed to like wind, rain and all the elements. It's a shit 10 minute walk. But he says, if you like a walk to the uh, toilets, the largest pub in the chain occupies all of Ramsgate Pier. It's called the Royal Victoria Pavilion. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? They've tried to make that sound as posh as possible. The Royal Victoria Pavilion. The Royal Victoria Pavilion. And yes, you can get cocaine off the geezer by the fruit machine. But it's like, do you remember like with cigarettes, they always... Because it's such like it's like smoking is it's not it's not the nicest habit, is it? So all the companies that made cigarettes were like called Pall Mall, Embassy, John Player Special. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Peter Stuyvesant. It had this handwriting on it. Lambert and Butler, who just both sound like serving staff. Two serving staff that were secretly in love. But yeah, David Domain says that there were three hundred and forty-seven tables to pick from. Fuck me, that's a big weather spoons. You know what the worst thing about me is now? I've taken the piss out of that, and now I really want to go. What most people think. Quick thank you and a fuck you before we get to a quick roundup of the news stories. The thank you is to, and it's got to be, to my boys AFC Wimbledon, who, after a horrible result last Tuesday against the franchise, uh, got a last-minute winner at home against Mansfield Town. <laughs> It was just amazing. We, we haven't won many, you know, a lot. there's a lot of victories now that occur with injury time winners, but 
the winner was scored by Ronan Curtis, right, who is an Irish fella, and he come off the... <laughs> Just sounded like I was going to say something xenophobic there. I don't know. I just I, I like having an Irish Womble. We used to have one in uh, Kenny Cunningham, and he come off the bench. He hasn't played for a year, and then he scored, and I was in delirium. And then the following morning, England, who were 196, the England cricket team were 196 behind on first innings. They turned it around. They bowled India out, and then well, we just we just we won. I don't, I don't know how the fuck we did it, and it's really it's really hard to to quantify. It's, it's basically like. Because we were so behind on first innings, England were essentially 5-0 down with two men sent off, which I think is how bad it was for AFC Wimbledon against Milton Keynes. But, um, but yeah, we came back and we won. And the good thing is today we've got Felicity on the, sh- on the show who, is a, who loves her cricket and supports Australia. But Australia lost at home to West Indies. So let's just see how long it takes me before, <laughs> before I throw that in. The fuck you is to think tanks. So think tank, there was a think tank that said that we are on average £10,500 worse off than we were before the credit crunch, right? So the first thing to say about think tanks is they never tell you anything good, do they? You never have a think tank going, oh, these days people are more of a laugh. Seagulls shit on cars less. I, I don't know. But just it'd be nice every once in a while that there was something was going better. But and I was kind of thinking about the, the year that they picked to start the metric from, which was 2010, which is after the big financial crash. And I do think we've sort of forgotten what an impact that has had on on all Western politics, right? Do you remember at the time of the credit crunch and they were saying, um, well, it's the biggest financial clusterfuck since the depression, the Great Depression. We're going to be poor for a generation. Do you remember that? We're going to be poor for a generation. And, you know, ten and a half grand it's not even worse off. I think it's not as well as off as we might have been if things had carried it on their pre-credit crunch trajectory, right? So I sort of thought of it as like, you know those, those kind of analogies that they do in football? Where they say, if you'd have offered me that, if you'd have offered me that before the season began, I'd have beat your hands off. And I think, you know, if you work it out, 10 and a half grand over 15, 14 years, it's about 700 quid a year. I mean, that's the way I look at it now. Actually, let's put a positive on it. If you'd have come up to me after Lehman Brothers went down and said it would only be 700 quid a year worse off, I'd have bit your fucking hands off. All right, before we get into the chat with Felicity, let's have a quick chat about the British military. So obviously things are hotting up in a military sense all around the world. You know, we've got um, Ukraine going on, there's Gaza happening... There's the Houthi thing, the Houthis. There's uh, China and Taiwan. So, you know, there, there, there's been some question of what readiness the British military uh, are in. Would it were it to come to a ground war? And the army is currently only seventy four thousand people in the army. I don't know if this went in on news quiz, but I was sort of saying that that is you could fit the whole of the British army in Old Trafford. And after forty minutes watching Man United, they'd be going, "Please send me to the Middle East." <laughs> Um, but yeah, generationally, we don't have the talent base, do we? You know, if you look at it, who who would actually sign up? You know, Gen Z, they wouldn't go without their support animal, would they? And millennials, millennials would be like, oh, you'd have to sell it to millennials and go, well, look, it's just think of it as part of the gig economy. And and my generation, there's, you've got no chance of getting my generation to fight in a war because our kids do after school clubs every day of the fucking week. This is under discussed drain on the time of Generation X parents, right? So, you know, I think what the army have got to do, one of the things they've got to do is, like, you generally want soldiers to be a bit taller, don't you? You want soldiers to be a bit taller. 
I think the army have got to do now what, what you know what women do in their late 20s? You know when women get to about 28 and they've had a great time where they're in their 20s, everyone, everyone wants to date them, they look fantastic, and then they go, right, I need to settle down, I need to have a kid, right? This is, this is obviously, yes, I am saying all women do this. And then they drop their standards. And that's a brilliant time for your standard bloke, isn't it? Because you're sort of like, you're sort of like been circling for a while and then there's chum in the water because you're going, fuck, I've heard that they're looking at blokes that are five foot seven and have got no money. As long as they've got their own teeth, we're in, lads. So I think that that is what the British Army got to do. They've got, they've got to boil it down to, look, what is the minimum level that we need here? Maybe they could recruit some of those old bastards that were having punch-ups at the weekend at the Hawthorns, you know? They, cl- they clearly still want to fight. Just send them in to fight the Russians. Just give them a bag of Charlie and, and <laughs> let them have at it. And furthermore, there was this um, collision. You know, if, we, if we're not sort of uh, confident in our military to begin with, there was this, there was this collision of two naval warships in, uh, in Bahrain. And it, I don't know if you've seen the video, but it was sort of like the, the real-life equivalent of... Um, don't tell them, Pike! It was like that from Dad's army, wasn't it? If, if I was the Russians, if you wanted to motivate your army, just say, look what's happening in Britain, and then just have those ships reversing into each other with the old Benny Hill tune. <laughs> Fucking humiliating, man. I don't know what happens like with, with ships. Could you get, can you get fully comp on a warship? I don't, I certainly, you know, because normally you'd get... For insurance, you get third-party fire and theft. I think they go, oh, fire is, um, you know, it's a pretty common thing with warships. You could get a theft. Theft, <laughs> quite hard to just steal a warship, wouldn't it? I don't know what happens. Could you drive off as well as a warship? It'd, just go, it'd take ages, though, wouldn't it? Go, mate, I can still see you. Don't worry. Once we get these engines up to speed, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the scene. A final thing on this fiasco was the name of the boat that was involved in the collision. It was called HMS... Chiddingfold, right? Chiddingfold, which I may well be. It sounds like a village in the Cotswolds. I think it may well be that. And you sort of think, what has happened to to strong names for ships like HMS Endurance or you know? Look, if it's a warship, I know this might be toxic masculinity, but I think it should just be called something like HMS Ten Inch. You know what I mean? <laughs> or HMS Blow Shit Up. What most people think. Okay, I've got all my toxic masculinity out of the way. Now it's time for a chat with the brilliant Felicity Ward. So I'm pleased to say, uh, making a debut on what most people think is a brilliant comic and friend, Felicity Ward. Felicity, welcome to the show. G'day, mate. How you going? I don't think I've said g'day for like 10 years. No, I like it. You've gone <laughs> in. You, this is what we need Aussies to be. I mean, look, I didn't, I, I was going to say I didn't want to mention it. I, I actually do want to mention it. The cricket, you lost to the West Indies at home. Yeah. Look, I have had to say this to many, many of my friends. I have a four-year-old and so I cannot watch the cricket that I used to be able to. English people love speaking to Australians when we've been beaten. The problem with me is I just love good cricket. So the fact that Shamar Joseph got all those wickets that I love a great game. Of course I want Australia to win, but the game is what I love. Felicity, that's what I say when England lose as well. I say, oh, I, it's about the game. Do you know, actually, the most important thing is that the game survives. But I, I absolutely do see what you mean. I mean, it is unlike football where, you know, obviously we've seen the crowd trouble over the weekend yeah. at various games and stuff. You you don't really get that cricket because you do love the sport just a bit more than you love your team. Yeah. I mean, look, don't exclude us from some chronic racism that happens in the crowd. I mean, I'd, I'd be remiss to say that isn't one of our strengths. But... 
I think also that we it's been such a long time since there has been like world-class clashes continuously. Australia has dominated predominantly for the last 20 years. So I don't mind when we get trounced. Yeah, I, I, that's quite a benevolent gesture that you're able to give. Yeah, I'll break you off a piece. Here you go. Yeah, have, have a little bit of that, mate. See that? There's a crumb over there that you missed, but no, I I totally understand what you what you need is is, is ten years in the wilderness where you'll be thinking, I wish I'd all savoured all those four nils and five nils against England. Like I can still say that the 2005 Ashes is one of the greatest Ashes of all time. We lost yeah. because it was incredible. I know that this isn't the answer you're looking for. I know you want me to go. I don't know how I'm going to get through. This is what this is where we're at it from. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll join it at this bit. All right, all right, yeah. Look, I'm struggling to get through this podcast, Jeff. Just looking an Englishman in the eyes is really tough, knowing that we've lost even to the West Indies, but that we're going to face you in the future. Terrified, terrified. I mean, you say, I mean, you, you've you created at least a part English male, haven't you? Like As a got- feminist, Jeff, it's my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm praying he's gay. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, how old is he now? He's four. Because, I mean, often, obviously, a lot of the uh, my female friends on the circuit, you know, the circuit, very feminist, you know, very... But then they have sons and then things start to change. How is he on the sort of male scale? Let's call it that. Is, is he, like, smashing stuff and is he quite bullish? He's both ends. He's very violent and doesn't know his own strength. <laughs> What I will say is he doesn't know that the esophagus isn't a bone. Right. So when he jumps on my back and strangles me because he loves me so much, he doesn't compute that he's cutting off the air in my windpipe. <laughs> That's a gentle, you know, introduction of like, honey, mummy can't breathe. <laughs> I will say, though, since becoming a mum to a son, a think that incels are our fault. I will say that <laughs> because... Um, there is a there is a kid in his class called Felicity, and he went up to his teacher and said, "Felicity is my best friend." And they didn't hang out that much. Hmm. And the teacher said, "Oh, you mean Felicity?" And he goes, "No, my mummy." I'm like, "I'm never going to correct that." Well, this is the thing, isn't it? You've created a male, yeah. so you've had a life where males have, you know, pleased you, but also disappointed you in certain ways, and so then you get the- certain. Repetitive. <laughs> and then you get your chance to create one in your own image. And then you think, well, the last thing I want is some young girl coming along and taking all my good work. So then then the sort of <laughs> feminism inverts to a sort of self-defeating thing. It's, it's perpetual, isn't it? It's hard to break the cycle. I am both things in that I love and adore him so much and accept probably behaviour in him that I wouldn't in a grown-up, which is also fair because he's four. You know, you've got to cut him some slack. From the <laughs> yeah. get-go, he can't be ready, you know. But I don't think that I am going to be a, a no girl is good enough for him. I'm like, I'm sure there's heaps of women good enough for you, if he's straight. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is that thing you sort of go down the family line where – Everyone's sort of thinking we haven't got any gays in our family, and then the because because it's changed so much. Yeah, you know, once upon a time that'd be a very different sentiment. Now people are sort of annoyed that there's no gay because <laughs> everyone everyone wants to be invited to a gay wedding is the first thing. Yeah, and then but also I think we forget that the frequency of gay people is still relatively. <laughs> I think it's about one in fifty. So if you work in our world, if you live in a city and stuff, you can easily sort of forget they're not as common as you think. <laughs> I've surrounded myself. I actually have in my extended family on my mum's side, for example, there's 12 cousins, three boys, two of them are gay. My sister and I are both bi-pan. My 
other cousin is a lesbian. I mean, we're riddled, quite frankly. Well, well you're riddled. And, and the thing is, you're skewing the stats. You stole all the gays. Do you know what's wild is I grew up in a like a tiny town, like 1,500 people, closest four suburbs, right? Yeah. And like talking about masculinity and traditional ideas and what have you, my dad used to be outright homophobic. Unfortunately, I went to a performing arts school, so they were going to be around. But then... This is so strange. In the mid-90s, these two guys from Sydney, Paul and Paul, of course, (laughs) opened a cafe in our town. Now, they served Sydney-level coffees. So all of these mums that had not a great social life all of a sudden were having cappuccinos in 1995. They were talking to these extraordinary, wonderful, funny gay guys they ended up being like you wanted to get invited to Paul and Paul's party, obviously, mm, mid-90s, yeah. gay house party, like wild, right? So they sort of changed the whole town where everyone would have loved to have been homophobic but it wasn't possible because they had the evidence. Yeah. And then I worked in a restaurant there. The head chef and owner was gay. Her girlfriend was the sous chef. The short order cook was gay. Like it got to a groundswell that my dad was like, eh, I got nothing to back this up anymore. Were they called the two Pauls or gay Pauls or did they ever sort of... Paul and Paul. Paul. Just Paul. I mean, that's very Aussie, isn't it? I mean, as we know from Aussie cricket chants, sometimes the creativity that goes in this stuff isn't there. Paul and Paul. I mean, yeah, home and away. What, what's it about? So you are now... I, I was looking... I was doing my research for this. You were born in 1980, right? So yeah. does that make you a millennial? Are you just a millennial? No, I'm the last year of Gen X. Oh, I, well done, mate. Congrats. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Thanks so much. There's a couple of places that say that I'm a millennial and I'm like, I'm just not. Mm. Bless you, but I'm absolutely not a millennial. You might have heard it or even discussed it, the Xennials, which are like 78 to 82, where okay. they're people that straddle both sides in that they don't struggle with the internet or new technology in a way that older Gen Xers do. Well, I mean, it is one of the great joys that I found with the comedy circuits. Now, you know, you live in it long enough, you get to see various generations come through. Yeah. And at first when the millennials come in, it bugged the shit out of me because they were so energetic and they had new ideas and they had hope. And then yeah. I've got to say, watching millennials turn 40 has been oh. such an unexpected joy. And like watching the bitterness and the the kids and the car seats, it's been a joy. And Gen X have just escaped criticism. We do, yeah. Like from the boomers and millennials. It, I don't know what we did. I mean, nothing is what we did. Drugs is it, what we, we did. did. We did do drugs. <laughs> a lot of drugs. Bless us. But we've just managed to escape. We were the Roger Federer's of drug taking, I think. I think this is in some ways why, you, you know, like when you go, God, no one will ever be able to beat those records. It's like Shane Warne's wickets. You go, yeah, well, yeah. everyone else is playing for something different because no one will ever top that. And so I think that was partly why millennials and Gen Z, where we've got to do something different, like because we are not going to compete on raw drug taking yeah. alone. We need to be better at something else. So maybe moral certainty, maybe they seem yeah. to. Drifted hard into that. I mean, you know, just- educating themselves <laughs> and good for them. Not really our bag, you know. Let me blow my nose, sorry. That's a proper cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those <laughs> tissues are green, mate. <laughs> it's such a, such a like, even, even the thing is, like, I would not, if I had a cold, I just would not have tissues to hand. you got a kid? You've got a toddler? Don't you just have tissues around? Uh, seven and a half. Yeah, I don't like them. I like I like to. But you've got a hanky, mate. <laughs> 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 I'm not that fucking old. You on the Bushman's Blow, are you? Do you know the Bushman's Blow in Australia? No, no. You just cover one nostril and blow it out into the garden. 
or in the water. The Bushman's Blow. That all, all that sounds like just a really rank form of cocaine that you get. That's what speed should be called. <laughs> <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I want to talk to you about, about one story that was doing the rounds in the press is about uh, marriage. So there's a stat now that less than half of all adults are married. And I thought it's, it's interesting. I guess instinctively you think that there are probably a lot of reasons why it's less popular than it was. I guess principal one is people just living at home till a lot later. So yeah. carrying your wife over the threshold and then your mum telling you off because she's just mopped that floor – it's not as cool, is it? Like, there's definitely a shift in... I mean, by the way, in my world, mums still mop floors and scold people, by the way. It's just I haven't progressed. It's, yeah, look, I, for the purpose of the joke, Jeff, I get it. I'm not going to... Yeah, fair enough. Good, That's good. absolutely fine, mate. <laughs> I will say, as someone who lived with her in-laws for a year, yeah, it's tough. But having quiet sex 10 metres away from your parents' or in-laws' bedroom is humiliating. So it makes sense to me. Well, I, I think that there are a lot of sort of societal thresholds that have changed. Well, one is that women are more financially independent. So the idea used to be that there was an, an exchange of benefits, right? So for, for men, they just obviously live longer. They're, they're generally healthier when they're married. For women, there might have been a financial incentive to be with a man who was, who was reasonably well set. You take away those things... Like women aren't living any longer for the by virtue of being married. They, li- I don't think they live shorter. I think they do. They die younger. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, that is not a good sell, is it? Get married, die young. Yeah, it's a good T-shirt though. <laughs> Fuck that! That's a great meme. I mean, so that is the point. Um, and I, I, I totally understand for younger. I suppose younger women have got to trade it off against the fact that they'll still be, as much as we've moved on, they'll still probably be expected to send his family birthday cards, even though we've never really fully underpinned why the fuck that still happens. Yeah, I don't know. So my family in Australia, I don't know if this is a a British thing. I never know what is specific to the family I have married into or 
what is a cultural difference. So the family I have married into, they send Christmas cards, they send birthday cards, they yeah. send anniversary cards to their other family members. Beautiful, but we have not done that since. Anniversary cards is so long. That is just, it's 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 a lot. It's too extra. I mean, you raise an interesting thing there is the culture of the family you marry into is one of the most underexplored aspects of a lifelong union, right? Is, is that you get into it, you go, I'm marrying you, I'm marrying you. And I mean, obviously their family are a part of it. And then you spend one Christmas with them and then they go, oh, we always have Chinese takeaway on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And they seem excessively satisfied with themselves for this. Not only satisfied, but also mildly threatening. Yeah, yeah. And you do need to participate in this as well. Otherwise, you're not part of the family. So you put it like that, it's the first time in a long time that I've felt sympathy for Megan because I just feel like <laughs> that what she encountered was the ultimate, we have Chinese takeaway on Christmas Eve. I mean, and their Chinese and Christmas Eve is very different. And that's just the start of a long list of shit. What do you do well, with your wife's family that you didn't do before? I think we're sort of both fairly Middle England type families, so there aren't too I remember there was one Christmas where they didn't have Christmas songs on during Christmas dinner. Okay. And I got I got really upset. <laughs> it was just the sound of clanking sort of cutlery and stuff. And I thought, you need some Slade, you need some Wizard, you need some sort of 70s vibe. So, yeah, I think that there are – I mean, Meet the Parents is an underrated comedy. That comedy is <laughs> fucking so – so well observed, and particularly for me because my father-in-law was an ex-old Bill who did, you know, oh my some God. quite advanced level surveillance work. So when Robert <laughs> De Niro did the fingers on Ben Stiller, I was like, yep, been there. Done it. So there was a kind of, there was an understanding between us as men is that when I looked at him, I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure you've done checks on me, but um, I'm also <laughs> pretty sure that I was never unlucky enough to get caught for anything. So um, I think we're quits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder now with women, you know, with the way that things are changing and, and there's more scrutiny on men adopting old-fashioned, cliched roles. You know the thing of where men used to say, if you if you upset my door, I'll shoot you in the face. That was always the kind of... Yeah. There was always a party that wanted to go, oh, I don't think you are, you know. Why don't you just issue a realistic threat? yeah. I mean, maybe it was like that with your father-in-law, though. He could have. Yeah, he had access to firearms. Yeah, yeah, he did. That was that was part of his purview, and he had friends to back him up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sentiment is something that makes me feel really uncomfortable because what it means is I know what men are like, and rather than trying to change men, I will just shoot men that behave like I did mm. or thought like I did. There's a lot of thinking that I do around I try to keep my feminism very inclusive of men mm. um, because it is, it's a, a mutual problem. Male suicide is something that I feel very, very passionately about and spoken mm. about because I think it's a feminist issue too. Quite. I mean, th this is the interesting thing is when, it, when you know, obviously I've had situations where I've discussed it publicly and when yeah. it's sort of marginalised, you go, look, the people like who are devastated by that it's not like that doesn't include women and it's almost like a privilege to be able to talk about these subjects from a point of who gets a seat at the table of discourse right yes. rather than what makes people happy in their lives angry men sad men anxious men don't make good brothers husbands and you know, yeah it's, it's, to me it's so fucking obvious why it should be a priority and yet it struggles to be what why why does it struggle to be like the first cab off the rank in terms of problems i think that it sounds cliche to say, but it's cliche because they are statistically true, that men do not have, there's no structure for men to talk about their feelings, express their feelings safely, process their feelings, 
there needs to be a huge mental shift for them to even know that that is like a preventative measure. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I've said it, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a line that I've been trying to push is that when when a man's relationship isn't giving him what he wants or going how he yeah. wants, the means by which he can discuss that or articulate it is minimal, right? So, you know, even a program like Loose Women, there's a language there, a grammar, where every day there's this group of women and, and at some point they're going to have a moan, right? They're going to yeah. complain about something. They might do it lightheartedly. There'll probably be some pejorative comment about blokes, but we understand it as a social phenomenon. Whereas... So when things do go wrong with a bloke, you can often feel like if you dare to discuss that with your mates, like you're some sort of traitor. Yeah, You know what yeah. I mean? Like Claudia Winkleman's going to come in. Well, to be fair, that's every man's dream and mine. Um, <laughs> what an absolute babe. But, yeah, it's it's traitorous, but it's also the fear of are they going to think that I'm being a girl? Are they just going to tell me to harden the fuck up? Are they mm. – there's no precedent. Oh, well, it's changing slowly. I was reading this year or last year actually that millennial – men spend three times more quality time with their kids than their parents did. So that element of cultural change is happening. But I think, and this was a while ago that I checked, but all but three countries in the whole world, men, there's higher rates of male suicide in every country in the world bar three. Yeah, it's such a shocking um, statistic. And and like you say, when when men sometimes talk to them. This happens in my friendship group where we all part of the, it's almost, you know, like the American dream is having your own home and doing well. The male dream is to be punching, right? To have a woman that's just a bit better than you in every yeah. respect, better looking, a nicer person. When you introduce her to the people you know, they tend to like her immediately more than they like you, right? So this is this is what we're all, we're all striving for. So what often happens is if you sort of say to your mates, oh, you know, things are tough or, you know, we take a, they'll go, well, you fucking idiot. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't get the immediate... Support yeah. that women will get. Well, it's definitely something he done rather than what you done, and we're team you. Yeah. Whereas blokes will be like, oh, mate, you fucked up. You know, it's um. So there's a, a huge culture where men don't feel able to share. You know what's going wrong. Well, it's you fucked up, or the other one is I don't want to hear this. Mm. Like, there's no middle ground of like, and this is general a generalization, but there's no middle ground for men to explore an idea. You know, then you've got British culture imposition on top of that of we don't talk about anything and you know you pull your socks up and you you get on with things and it doesn't work it doesn't ever work i made a documentary 10 years ago and we there's a group that started called mates in construction because construction workers in australia were six times more likely to die from suicide than any other work related injury which is insane wow and what it was was you've got it, it's like a perfect microcosm of uh, men in that or like just a patriarchy where it's predominantly male where apprentices are on low wages high overheads for 3 or 4 years so they're in debt they might have a relationship but they don't have anyone else to talk to about the pressure there's a lot of middle management pressure there's huge amounts of bull- bullying on construction sites my dad's a builder you know I'm very very privy to that world and then if something happens like the relationship breaks up, the only coping mechanism they have are gambling or some kind of addiction, alcohol, what have you. And if you do a breakup and you're drinking and you're in debt and you have no buffer, the only answer can be sometimes suicide. Mm. The, there's no other structure in place for men to say, I'm struggling, I need help. And then you have the on top of that, you have the culture war now of like, of the woke versus 
you know, the anti-woke. So things like therapy are seen as woke. Things like processing emotions are seen as woke. There is the overuse of the word trauma by, you know, the left. Mm. There's the overuse of, you know, people wanting to be pathologized. On both sides, there's people drifting towards the edges. I think that's such a good point because I always say one of the arguments I make to blokes about talking therapies and one of the ones that tends to get it over the line with the blokey blokies, I say, well, the American Armed Forces invest a lot of money in it. And for some reason, if you say, well, the American Army do it, well, fucking the American Army, they, they, don't, 100%. they don't piss about. I mean, there is, I, I'm sort of in this middle ground where I, I think that there's both the need to talk more, but then there's also, there are good things about blokes being selective sometimes, you know, and, and, and not necessarily sort of excavating every single sort of last feeling. And and that's the balance you've got to find. And there's also, this is what I wonder, Felicity, is about male nature, right? So say, for example, we were like hunter-gatherers for so many thousands of years. And then in this tiny little pie chart, this sliver of time, we go, right, talk about everything. And what if we find out in 20 years, that's really not what we do? You know, like if you were to say to women, share less, right? If you were to say to women, talk about your life less, Right. Just dial it down a notch, ladies. Right. You know, whether or not there's something in that that might actually create a new kind of anxiety. So I absolutely agree with what you're saying. But I also think that this sometimes what people pass it off as is this simple. Right. Well, men have just got to talk about their feelings. But if you firstly accept that that isn't fully natural, it doesn't come easily, that there might be a different language around mental health that's needed. Yeah, I think there's a lot in there. You know, there's men's sheds that get set up and. Here's the thing, lots of things in feminism that we fight for, like violence against women, which is disproportionate. Of course it happens to men and that is just Mm. as important. Men are not dying at the hands of women at the rate that women are dying at the hands of men. Mm. And a a lot of the violence um, that men are suffering is also at the hands of men. So feminism is sort of like or women are sort of, outside in that there's not I don't think there's that much that we can do except for fight for our own rights because like when you say the American army do it men will listen to men straight men will listen to straight men obviously I'm talking about Mm. cis straight men here and I'm generalizing as well there are many men out there who are doing lots of work who are on themselves and who are trying to change and trying to change like improve their lives because it's that's the thing it's not about feminizing men it's about improving men's lives So yes, comedy. Now you, I mean, I was I was a regular coming to see your show at the Edinburgh Fringe. That was where I first sort of saw you as a, as a friend of Sarah and stuff like that. And then we've stayed in touch through cricket over the years. And then I, I see that you, you've landed the lead part in the Australian version of The Office. And immediately I was like, what a great casting. I mean, that's such a, a huge thing. I know this is a really obvious, like radio guy question, but I mean, how did you feel, Felicity, when you found that news that you'd landed the main role in the Australian office? I mean, it still hasn't sunk in. Yeah. And it won't until it comes out. Look, it was really complicated, to be honest, because you sort of go, holy shit, that's like probably lots of people's dreams. And to be the lead in any sitcom is my dream. I did not think it would ever happen. I absolutely love acting. I absolutely love comedy acting. And then it is... The first time, do you know it's, this is the 14th remake? Yes, yeah, there's been loads of remakes all, all around the world, yeah. I didn't know that. I only knew of like maybe 
two or three outside of the UK and America, but this is the 14th. This is the first time a woman's done it, mm-hmm. which I actually didn't see as an achievement. I just saw as something to be scared of because I know, especially how Ricky Gervais's audience have changed and how passionate they are and what he speaks about in his stand-up now is quite antithetical to my comedy. So I still have the fear of, like, what happens when the show comes out, Mm. of, like, how absolutely drilled I'm going to get online. There is this scrutiny that goes with being the first, and I'm not in any way equating this to being, like, a woman in in such a global thing, but having, you know, like, being a right-wing comic and doing things for the first time, every time I've done something for the first time, you get the before you even do it, you get people messaging you saying that you know that they can't believe that you got it on merit. Even now, I've done stuff on the BBC for years, and I saw that I was, I was doing news quiz yeah. last Thursday, and some guy was quite confidently saying, "No, what will have happened here is that the Tory party will have gone to the producers and news quiz." Yeah, yeah. Because as you know, Felicity, the the Tory party have an open line like the bat phone to all makers of topical programs, especially topical comedy. Especially and and on the radio as well, and <laughs> very lucrative industry of radio for comedy. Yeah, there's big money in that, and 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 he said with utter confidence. So so I understand that the, the scrutiny's there. Were, were you able to sort of get that out of your head once you got on set? Was there enough else going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. While I was on set, it was I just couldn't believe my luck every day. I hope that I never lose. I'm 43. I have been like you doing clubs, eating shit, Mm. doing return drives to Hull for a hundred quid middle. You know (laughs) what I mean? So to get something this big, I still feel like I'm my friend and I'm happy for me, if that makes sense. And when I was on set every day, I, I got to the point where I felt like I was in a sitcom and I was so grateful that I was in a sitcom. And then on the last day we got like a bag and we all got a hoodie, like a, a crew and cast hoodie, and it had the office written on it in the font. And that was the day that I went, fuck, it's a <laughs> yes. fucking office. I mean, have you, have you, is there like a sort of TX day? Is there a transmission? Do, do we know when it's going up sort of thing? I think it's June. It's June. I have no hard evidence except I was told a couple of months ago it's probably June. But that could mean April and it could mean December. I mean, it's a good time for, and I'm going to sound really ignorant here, but, you know, Colin from Accounts, and I'd recommend anybody watches that, absolutely so funny. And there was that part of me as a Brit that was going, it's a sitcom from Australia. They're actually making sitcoms these days. And it's 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 pretty, now, you'll probably know, there's probably been loads of great sitcoms that I'm just not no. aware of. No, there hasn't. <laughs> there hasn't been lots of sitcoms. We don't have a culture yeah. of it. And it's right. just happened in the last couple of years. So, there's also Fisk. If you haven't watched Fisk, it's got Kitty Flanagan in, in it. Oh, yeah, she's great. It's yeah. on Netflix. There's also Deadlock, which is sort of like a comedy murder mystery that's on Amazon, and that was like number two in the world. So it's we're having a real boom. Yeah, well, I mean, calling from accounts, like my wife is so – when I recommend stuff to my wife, there's a point where if I re- recommend it too hard, she just won't watch it. Yeah, I get she it. Just, she doesn't – like Car Share with Peter Kerr. I was too certain. You know when blokes recommend stuff to women? They're like, no, 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 you're going to love it. It's so funny. And yeah. we start telling them why it's great, which is always a great way to go into it. But this is like a, re- a really funny show. But also, and I know this is going to sound so dumb, but I realised that there's a reminder that the cultural overlaps between – 
Australia and the UK. Like there's one episode of Colin from Accounts where they're just having a roast dinner on a Sunday. And I know it sounds really obvious, but I was like, they do that over there? I had no idea. Because I'm just thinking like literally everything's on the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Including fucking like porridge and, you know, like soup. Yeah, that's how we do it. <laughs> we are happier though. That's a generalisation that you can take that one to your heart. We are. Australians are, are happier. And even though we are, like, we have this cultural stereotype of being more relaxed people, we are mm. to a point. <laughs> we definitely make more eye contact. I'm comparing that with London, to be fair, yeah, which yeah. is not the whole of the UK. I am shocked at what we put up with in the UK and people think yeah. we have to put up with because, and this is my take on things, which might be upsetting or offensive to some people. Go for it. I think it's British exceptionalism where British people think we have to live like this because if there was a better way to live, we would have invented it because we're smart. Well, there is. I understand where British exceptionalism comes from, but I also I always anchor it back to the fact that there's also an overriding sense of our own crapness. There's, it's a strange tension yeah. between we did something once upon a time, but everything is generally crap. And the two defining aspects of the British psyche, like the two myths are that we survived the Blitz. Not that we, like, fired back, but we just grimly got on with it. Yes! (laughs) They they were bombing the shit. And also Dunkirk. Dunkirk is such a formative narrative. And that was like that we were literally just just fucking, like, bombing out of there because we were losing. So it's a strange thing that we do have this the imperial history on the one hand, but people actually get annoyed if you say that it's not crap. Everything's crap and it's getting worse. That might even be a title for a show. It's true. It is. It's like a... I suppose it's that thing is like there's a badge of honour about having low self-esteem. Like if you're proud of yourself, you get your passport taken off you over here. Like that will get you on a plane to Rwanda because that's the most (laughs) un-British thing that you can do is be proud of yourself. I mean, I had a moment the other day where I was was exiting a toilet and a guy was coming in and we both said sorry. And I I know it's an old stereotype that's sort of been done, but it is hilarious how quick we are to say sorry You're quick to say sorry when you don't need to. Yes. (laughs) But I've been shoulder charged and I'm five foot four. I specifically remember being on Oxford Street and this guy, I'm going to say 6'3", built like a brick shit house, like built, right, Hmm. took me out with his shoulder and I turned around to sort of go like, that really hurt, and he looked at me like, where's my apology? I'm like, what's wrong with you people? (laughs) You've nearly put me on my ass. I'm a tiny little lady. <laughs> I think I'm a tiny little lady is a great it's a great catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the chat there with uh, Felicity Ward. I do think I'm just a little lady. I do think is it too late to film some extra scenes for the Australian office? Uh, make sure you check out that when it comes up later. And how smug are you going to feel when you go and people are all raving all around the world about Felicity's brilliant performance, and then you go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I was uh, yeah, I was onto that a while ago." Yeah, no, yeah. Was, oh, you you just found out about Felicity Ward. Good for you. Good for you. Um, listen, we just got a time for a couple of letters before we go. First up was from I think it was Steve who contacted me and said that for my date in Stroud, I've got a tour date in Stroud coming up, and they're doing a meal on the night, a pre-show meal, and can you guess what it is? Gammon. Is that an insult? Should I take that personally? They're doing gammon. I feel... I feel so... Maybe they're just doing like a, a series of themed evenings. Comedians and their food. Jeff Norcott served with gammon and chips and some more chips. 
Maybe they're doing the same for like lefty comics. Maybe maybe if Ramesh does that venue, they'll do some sort of tasteless vegan food. There you go. Had to get a vegan joke in there. And just one last thing is from Alan. He sent me a message, and we haven't had uh, one of these for a while. He says, I quite like the way that he's themed this. He says, right, so who would win a hypothetical fight between Ed Davey and Stephen Flynn. Now, Ed Davey is the leader of the Lib Dems, fourth biggest party uh, in the Commons, and Stephen Flynn is the leader of the SNP, who, who are the third biggest. As fights go, it would sort of be like, you know when you get an FA Cup weekend and then you get like the games that are obviously the interesting ones, like, you know, Ipswich versus Maidstone, and you get Newport County versus Man United, and they pick those because there could be an upset. But then you also get like some shitty game, which is like just between two League One sides. And that's just obviously the shit game, like Peterborough, Peterborough versus Morecambe or something. Uh, so this is very much the Peterborough versus Morecambe of political fights. I think it's very hard to tell with Ed Davey because no one knows how he sounds. I keep saying this, even with the recent post office scandal, no one knows what Ed Davey's voice sounds like. I could just pick an accent. Oh, oh, hello, my lover. I'm Ed Davey here. I'm going to have a fight with Stephen Flynn. Can you tell me that's not how he sounds? You don't know. And so Stephen Flynn, we can assume a little bit about his fighting style because he stands up at PMQs with both hands in his pockets. So maybe, and this is very a very heavy Scottish stereotype, maybe the reason that he does that is because he's wanting to stick the... Oh God, that was a bad Scottish accent even for me. Because he's wanting to stick the knot in. He's wanting... He's what's going on my accent? He's wanting to stick the fucking knot in. Right? He's got his hands... Oh, I need to keep my Scottish followers. I'm sorry. That's not me even trying to be bad. But look, he sticks his hands in his pockets because he's just waiting for an opening. And then while Ed Davey is refusing to apologise for his role in the post office affair, Stephen sticks the nut in first round knockout. All right, see you next week. Bye. (laughs) 